just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. I forgive you. You... what? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> This job you gave me has changed my life. It gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... <laughs> you know, I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together, you know what I'm saying? What would Ted Lasso do? This is a question that we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and we apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Devalia. And my name is Jeff Harry. And neither of us have ever recorded a podcast. But as Ted Lasso says, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you find new ways to believe. I'm excited about episode, is this nine? Are we on nine? Is that what we were on? Yeah, we're on episode nine called All Apologies. This one is written by Jason Sudeikis, Bill Lawrence, and Brendan Hunt, and directed by MJ Delaney. The theme is Crucial Conversations. Interesting. That's, that's what this was. Difficult Conversations. How do you have a difficult conversation? Yeah, just the whole process of it, how challenging it can be. And also, a lot of times when you have difficult conversations, how you think it's going to turn out and how it's different. Yeah. So you want to jump into that? Should I tell you what I felt like? Yeah, came sure. Up for yeah. Me? So for me, as I was watching it, uh, the overarching theme was forgiveness and empathy. And it's funny because... I think a lot of people just associate forgiveness with kind of more religious and spiritual things, but there's actually a lot of research in this in uh, positive psychology, uh, which we can talk about. But so that was like the main theme for me. But I think the underlying theme also was around this idea of what we believe, right? And this notion of believing. So that's what came up for me. But let's let's jump in with yours around the conversations and I'll add my stuff in. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of some from the very beginning. You can already feel the tension at the beginning of the episode because there's a lot of people that just haven't had like, yeah, just things are not being addressed. Right. And then right. Rebecca tries. Well, first she just doesn't. And then Keely is just like, you're going to go talk to him. And she's like, why do I need to talk to him? It's like, it's really no big deal. Like, what's the reasoning as to why I need to do it? Because you try to like justify why 
<laughs> why you need to have that or not. Or in the situation with, you know, the Diamond Dogs who are now split up after they've just been oh so sad, the Diamond Dogs. The Diamond Dogs <laughs> try to have a crucial conversation even with Ted. And Ted's like, I'm not hearing it. He's like, especially after I've already gone in front of the press and said, this is where I stand. So now I'm going to look stupid if I break that as well. So it's interesting that there were multiple different hard conversations that had to have. One with Rebecca and Ted, the one that Keely had to have with Rebecca in the shoe room, even uh, Nate having a crucial conversation, apologizing to Ted at the end of the episode when he was like having a bad <laughs> dream. And he was like, let me have this conversation. Now, like everyone, you know, Ted having a difficult conversation with the team, Roy having a difficult conversation with the team, as well as Roy having a difficult conversation with Ted. I mean, so many hard yeah. conversations, him, Ted and his assistant, you know, the guy that like goes off into the end. I mean, there's just so many different moments where it's just like, man, this is going to be a hard conversation, man. Uh, this is going to be a harder conversation. And with each and every one of them from like Rebecca having her conversation with Ted or Rebecca having her conversation with Higgins, you don't really know how it's going to turn out. And that's the part that I think people are scared of the uncertainty. Yeah. Well, and the uncertainty is like that, right? Like the whole point of uncertainty is like our brain, it doesn't have something to compare it to. Right. Mm -hmm. So usually when we're in situations, our brain is constantly looking for like what's happened in my past that I can compare this to and, and that's why we create the stories, right? Even though our stories are wrong half the time, we create whatever or story we need to. Of the time. Yeah. yeah. And we create whatever story we need to in order to feel that sense of like safety and security. And then when, when we don't have that, that's where we experience that uncertainty. And to your point, these kinds of conversations, like, you know, again, in working with leaders, like, I feel like this is the number one thing, like leaders struggle with having the hard conversations because they're already in their head about how this is going to turn yeah. out, how is the person going to react. Yeah. And we create this whole thing and we make it so much bigger than it might turn out that way, but it might not, you know? And so I, I found that really interesting too. I want to go back to something you said, you know, this whole thing about Ted having said what he said to the um, press and then now like having to change positions mm. or whatever. So my take on that, it was interesting. So as I watched that, like, I was really like, this is such a great example of leaders having to make tough choices, right? Mm -hmm. Leaders face that every day. Like, I think that's another really challenging part about um, being in that position is you have to make those decisions. You have to make those calls sometimes. And no one's going to like you 100% of the time because you are always going to have somebody who's unhappy with what you've done. So there's that piece of it of having to make those tough choices. And in this case, his choice was either, you know, hurt Roy by benching him, potentially hurting his career as well and hurting who he is like as a person or going against like people that he normally trusts, right? Like he has said over and over that he knows nothing about the game. And this is such a piece of strategy in a way, like the way that Beard and Nate make their case to him. It's all about kind of the strategy of, Hey, look, he's messed up in the last five games. And, you know, he's not like his age is showing, like they're talking pure strategy, which is what he relies on them for. And so he's got a choice either to listen to them or not. Or 
bench Roy or not. And that's a tough position to be in, I think, to have to make that choice. And so he makes the choice. What I thought was funny, though, was that he goes like one step further, which he doesn't normally do, which is to say, like, he normally does, you know, like the part where he said, I just want you both to know that I really value your opinion or whatever, you know. But then he says, even when it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was really surprising because I, I, I don't feel like he normally says stuff like that. But the second piece of this is, so there's the tough choices, which is one aspect. But then what do you do when you are wrong? Because that's the other piece, right? None of us are right 100% of the time. How do you as a leader turn around and say, okay, you know what? I was wrong. And I made a mistake. And this is another place where I feel like people really, and it's not just leaders. I mean, I think as human beings, we struggle with this, right? Like our ego gets in the way so badly. And to your point, like, what are people going to think? Like, what are they going to say when I turn around and say, oh, you know what? I messed up. And in this situation, like he, like when they're out on the pitch and like Roy is just not keeping up and he's like, it finally falls over. And you see that, you see Ted go, oh, shoot. And so he knows, like he knows he has screwed up. And I love when Beard just takes off his glasses and just stares him down. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like. He doesn't have to say anything else, you know, and so, and he knows. And so I just, I thought that was really interesting though, about this idea of just like, what do you do when you've got to make these tough choices, you know? Yeah. I also think about what you said of, I think the reason why he's like, y'all are wrong is because he's now not only said to the press, Hey, I have my back on Roy, but he said to Roy, I have have your back. I have your and back. Yeah. Also, this whole time, if you think of all the episodes leading up to it, the whole time it was to try to build up Roy as a leader. And now you're going to bench the leader just from, especially in the last game, doesn't look good. It just doesn't. Like it's not. And especially if like he's put all of his eggs in this basket of like, this is him. So it's funny when they are, well, first they get ignored, which is really amazing for the diamond diamond dogs but also it's this thing of like well but okay hold on the diamond dogs though i think are more like they're almost like personal life like that's like the wisdom of the group for like how do we handle like everyday life situations the, but i still feel a diamond dog energy with sure sure yeah also missing and they're yeah. like you know they rarely do come together to like say something to him and be like okay, yeah talk yeah for sure him really serious but imagine even ted in all of his like wisdom and leadership and all the things that we've been praising him he kind of gaslights him a little bit when he's just like yeah like you know i really do uh appreciate your opinion but also your opinion's kind of wrong you know it's just like yeah it's just a weird reaction breaks their trust and that's how quickly trust can get broken even with the Mm. best leader So then imagine a leader that is constantly gaslighting, that is constantly saying things and then not matching up. So then there's so many more layers of distrust that people have. And it's just like, man, trust is fragile, you know, and trust is built with every single action. So like him even having to own up to it, just like Rebecca, right? Having to own up with Higgins, like the apology is so to fix so much of the trust issues that people have. But I find a lot of leaders are like, I don't want to do all that apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of apology. That's a lot of me 
not being in a position of power, but being in a position of vulnerability. And I don't want to do that. And the fact is, is it's a brave step that Ted, Rebecca, Roy, all three of them all apologize in a way. Exactly. And, but I think there's another aspect to that too, right? So there's the piece of being vulnerable and uh, apologizing, which is huge. And I think part of the fear is when we think about how the other person is going to react, like, are they going to forgive me? And this is where I think the forgiveness piece was such a key aspect to this. And I think like with Ted and Beard, for example, they are so tight. Like Ted knows that like Beard will forgive him, you know, like that's just a given. And we don't actually see Ted say, I'm sorry to Beard, Mm. but, but they, they acknowledge it, you know, like it's acknowledged in the way that they are with each other. And so with Rebecca, like, you know, there was the part that she, she did go to Higgins. She said, sorry, but she didn't know if he was going to forgive her. Right. And, and same thing with Ted. I remember the very first time I watched this episode, like way back when Ted Lasso first came on. And I remember when we got to this point and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. Like he's been so nice this whole time. Like surely he's going to like, you know, go off on her or whatever. Yeah. And I was so like, what? Like what just happened? Same as her reaction. Like what? Why? And because it's not what we are used to. And forgiveness is like, it's such a, an interesting topic because it's not just the act of forgiving, you know, like so much of it is based on aspects of our own personality. Like, are we people who typically hold grudges? Are we people who typically behave in a certain way? But at the heart of forgiveness is really this idea of empathy and connection. Yeah. And so I think, right. And I think a lot of people think that if you forgive, like you're just letting things go and there's no consequences. And that's not what forgiveness is about, right? Forgiveness is ultimately about like growing from the process. So there's this idea of, you know, like when we say kind of the idea around like toxic positivity and things like that, where you're just kind of using platitudes and things and not really dealing with the difficult emotions. But forgiveness is actually one of the most difficult things that we can do, right? And it's like, requires us to cultivate that empathy. And um, I was thinking about this, Brene Brown has such a great, have you seen that short, like the animated short that she Oh does? yeah, yeah, the cave, the cave empathy. Yeah. And so she talks about how empathy is just about feeling with people. One of my colleagues, we do a workshop and in that we talk about, it's about creating a ministry of presence. So it's just about being present to the other person without judgment, Right. But the other aspect to forgiveness is benefit finding. And so this is the piece where, you know, can I find some kind of positive growth from this experience? Like it's, it's kind of a coping strategy, but where like toxic positivity is shoving those emotions down and not dealing with them. Benefit finding, we still, you know, deal with the emotions, but we also acknowledge like there's something good coming out of this. And We see Ted go through that whole process in that scene with Rebecca, right? So like she tells him like, I lied to you and all the things that she's done. I hired you because I wanted you to lose. I wanted you to fail. I I sabotaged you. I set up the picture. I set up the interview with Trent Krim. I instigated the transfer of Jamie Tart. So all this stuff. And then she explains why she did it because she wanted to hurt Rupert because he had hurt her. And so we see Ted, like he doesn't just like react out of anger, which I think I, like I tried to put myself in that position. <laughs> like if I just heard someone who this whole time I'm really thinking has my back, I just like heard them tell me all the things that, like I would have been like reacting in all sorts of ways, you know, 
but he takes a breath and he like, you can see the wheels turning on his face, uh, like through his facial expressions and stuff. And then when he gets up, he t- all he says is, I forgive you. And so in that, we see like the empathy because he says, you know, divorce is hard mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or got left. So we know that he's been through this and he's connecting with her on that level. And then we see the second piece of this, like the perspective taking and benefit finding where he's, he says, you know, like, I went through what you did. It makes people do crazy things. But yeah. look, I'm, I'm coaching soccer in London. Yeah. And the job that you gave me, it changed my life because it gave yeah. me the distance to see what was really going on. And that's the benefit finding piece. And so like, I think that is just like so powerful. And so we see that in his like conversation with her. And then we also see that in the conversation between like Rebecca and Higgins. And then there's also some self-forgiveness that's going to have to start happening too, though, right? Like for Rebecca in terms of all that she's done. And even I think Roy to an extent in terms of like, his own beliefs against himself, forgiving himself for some of that too, I think. But I just thought it was such an overarching theme. I think a part that I found really interesting about when she is apologizing to Ted, I guess how quickly he forgave her. And I think about that in the sense of, you know, I don't know if there was a story a long time ago. I think it was like an Amish family. Their son was killed by some guy and in the courtroom, they forgave him and hugged him. And it was like, man, that level of forgiveness, like that level of groundedness to not give up your values, even though a loved one has been taken from you. And, yeah. and I can't believe I'm quoting Mike Tyson of all people, but <laughs> he was, he runs, he has a podcast. I think Mike Tyson has a podcast. Really? He, yeah. And I think he's interviewing, it might be another boxer or like UFC fighter. And this guy's like, or rapper, I don't know. And he's like saying how he's like not going to forgive somebody. Like this guy's telling Mike not going to forgive somebody. And then Mike's like, well, then that guy, well, then, then you've lost. And he's like, what are you talking about? What, what I need to forgive this guy. And he goes, you lost because you are allowing him to change you. He's now your master. And it's like, oh, it's like, oh, gosh, because yeah. he's just like, instead of you being rooted in who you are, you're going to keep this anger and everything like that and allow this person to occupy your space and time instead of being rooted in, you know, where you want to stand. Instead, this person has now changed you. And that guy's like was like, oh, like, oh. And I think that's the thing that we really have to like think about, like when push comes to shove. There are moments when you're like, do I believe these values or not? Mm-hmm. And when Beard goes off at, at Ted at the end and he's just like, no, I want to win. No, isn't, and May cares about winning. People care about winning. And if you're going to put this person's feelings in front of the entire team, doing something similar to Rebecca, right? Like in the yeah. sense of, like, I'm going to make the decision over this person and hurt everyone, the, the team, the crowd, everything over this decision. I think that's really selfish. And the fact that he's been willing to say that at that very moment also then shows how rooted and grounded in who he is. And then he gets the chess uh, yeah. girl back. <laughs> Jane. Yeah. She's been wanting him to be more probably assertive and more like, yeah. And she doesn't want him to get walked over and things like that. So she's like, that's so sexy. So it's just yeah. interesting again, where like, how much do you actually believe in your values and how much are you, do you believe in your convictions to actually follow yeah. through on them? And that, yeah. that I think is an important piece. 
Well, I love that parallel you just drew. I hadn't thought about that in terms of like Rebecca being selfish in the actions that she was taking to solely like to make herself feel better. And that Ted kind of doing the same, right? And so that that's actually really interesting. And to the other point that you just made about what um, Mike Tyson said, uh, you know, there's an element of this that I, I've definitely read about, which is that oftentimes we forgive people not for them. It's not about them. It's no. about us, right? It's about yeah. what we carry and what it does to us. Because oftentimes it can eat us up. And and again, like it's it's a hard thing, right? Because if you've suffered some really terrible, like I think about like those truth and reconciliation committees and stuff yep. that they've had around the world. Actually, I just recently learned they've had some here in the US too. You know, how do you sit down with someone who has destroyed your family, potentially yep. hurt you and forgive them? And ultimately it comes down to this is for yourself in a way, like what are you going to carry with you moving forward? And so it's, it's such a rich area for discussion. And the other piece of that is, you know, you said like, how do people do that so quickly? And I think a big part of this also is the idea of it has to be a practice. So it's like the practice of forgiveness, meaning that it's something that you are consistently and intentionally doing in all aspects of your life so that when you encounter these kinds of situations, it comes more easily. Because if right. if you're not in the practice of doing this, when the time comes, you're going to react. You're not going to be able to turn around and be like, okay, you know what? I forgive. And I feel like this is why, what is it? 85% of people are disengaged at work is because mm. the lack of communication and the lack of forgiveness and understanding that people communicate with people just don't let, know how to have hard conversations. They just don't like, yeah. we've never been trained in it. There's nothing around that. So you just, it like forgiveness seems like such a foreign concept, at least in American culture. I feel like it's different in, in other. Yeah. So let me ask you, what do you think was the shift that happened when so Rupert comes in and he says all his stuff to Rebecca and you know, he's there just to hurt her. Like there's no, he's not even barely masking that. Right. Like, even though he says, Oh, I didn't want you to hear it in the press. You know, he wants to see her reaction. Yeah, of course. What do you think shifted for her? Like what came up for you in her making the decision to finally go down and, and talk to Ted? I think it was this idea that it's never going to stop. He's always going to be emotionally abusive. He's always going to be Rupert. He's always, and there's never going to be enough that I can do yeah. to shut him up. Even yeah. after the dart thing, she could destroy the whole organization, have its soul go into regulation, and he's still just going to rub it in her face, right? Yeah. Like yeah. when he's basically saying to her, he's just like, I didn't want to start a family with you. I think at that point she goes, is that me? Like, do I want to be that cruel back? Because I could, but I don't think that's me. To what end? And it's the whole thing of like, you know, like, you know, someone that is so affluent. It's never enough. For him, it's never enough. He has to constantly win in order to stay relevant. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to be Rupert. Just a little nicer than Rupert, but still the same. So I think she was just like fed up. I think the other part, and this is a theme of the episode, I think that's also really important. And this has also been a theme that happens in many episodes is the question of identity and just like, what is your identity? Because like yes. when Roy's niece tells him all these things about him that have nothing to do with soccer questions, you know, when Ted says he has Roy's back and then is going to bench him challenges his identity, right? Beards, 
identities challenge. And then finally, Rebecca's identities challenge at that moment. And she's like, who do I want to be? Like, do I want to be the karaoke singer that is like loving and empathetic and and the person I used to be? Or do I want to go down this dark path even deeper just to prove this guy wrong that I actually hate? And it goes back to the Mike Tyson thing. She decides, yeah, do I want him to continue to control me? Like, do I want to continue this fight? Yeah. And she's like, I'm just done. Yeah, I have the same the same thought that he's just not going to change and there's not like there's nothing she can do that's ever going to hurt him the way that, she, that he's hurt her. And so uh, I felt like that was kind of her epiphany too. But it's interesting because, you know, I like to get into the details. <laughs> and so there's the, the shot of Rebecca as like her shoes as she's walking down the stairs to go and talk to Ted. And so we see her physically walking down the stairs. And the song that's playing, so the song that's playing is called Piano Joint by Michael Kiwanuka. The lyrics to that in that moment are really interesting. So it's it says, walking down the avenue, looking out for something new. It's the right time to give in, the right time to lose, to begin again, maybe win again. All I want is to talk to you, turn me on to something true. I can't be with another, although I've been used, I won't leave again, help me to the end. And I just thought like, like it's once again so amazing but someone pointed out in again one of these groups there was a guy named Daniel Ferry and he said that when he he was watching for like the 50th time he remembered back to the episode in Liverpool where Sassy talks about how Rupert built the ivory tower but Rebecca climbed every step mm-hmm. to the top by herself and now we see her stepping out like down from uh, her ivory tower. And she she made that choice to step down and like go and resolve this issue. You know, I thought that was actually really cool. Also think about it. Where do you usually see conversations between Ted and Rebecca in her office? He's constantly coming up to her. Where does Higgins usually talk to her? In her office. It's always in her office. So the fact that she walks through the dressing room is very symbolic. And the fact that she walks, she drives to Hagen's house, like, again, going out of her way when she has always been like, everyone needs to come to me. And that's such and a power finally, move, right? Such a power move. And then finally, think about it. Rupert comes into her office and then she's like, oh, I don't want to be here. I've been doing like a Rupert. Uh, <laughs> well, she hasn't been doing Rupert. Like a, a, Rupert's a, been a doing super size Rupert, a smaller version of Rupert. I've yeah. been impersonating Rupert this entire time. Yeah. And again, it's just like, do I want my identity to stay this way? And it's yeah. like, well, and I also thought it was a really interesting conversation. Just Keely bringing Rebecca into the shoe room of all places because she's like, oh, it's so stinky in here. This is so smelly and gross. And, you know, and Keely, I, like, I like the symbolism of that because it was like, this is what you are a part of. This is what is run. Yeah. And frankly, this is also like the area of dirty laundry, mm-hmm. which frankly you need to reveal because you've been so perfect mm-hmm. and you need to start like telling the truth. Yeah, and that's it, actually really perceptive. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, no. And then I was going to say, so it's really funny when finally Rebecca's acts acting like Ted when she finally does have to apologize. Yeah. She's just like, procrast, pre-crast, you know, and she starts having word vomit and not being able to say her thing. And she's like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And I was like, oh, she's getting that directly from Ted. Like, he's yeah. now affected her so much from all his awkward because he's always trying to have difficult conversations with her. And this is like the yeah. first time. And then she's like, I can't do it. That's funny. So this idea of identity, identity, I think you're right. That's a huge one. And I think that identity ties directly into this idea of belief, right? So, and this has been kind of like, believe is at the heart of the lasso philosophy, right? When you think about that sign that he puts up, which is now iconic everywhere, (laughs) like we see it showing up everywhere. But from like that opening scene where, where Roy's in like, the ice bath where Roy is on the rock, you know, he's just so down on himself. When Ted comes in, he's just asking him, like, just tell me that I fucked up and and then just leave me alone. And and Ted's like, no, like just go easy on yourself. And so there's this whole idea of of that compassion or the self-compassion that comes in. So that ability to be kind to ourselves. And it's interesting, this is actually part of a class I teach, this MP course that I teach. We do a lot around self-compassion and perfectionism. And when you look at professional athletes, especially, you know, they have to be on their game. Like that's the whole point. And so there's a high degree of perfectionism associated with who they are and the game that they play which is also associated with really high levels of inner criticism. And so like we all tend to criticize ourselves, right. To some degree, but for some people, it's just so much stronger. And, you know, there's a, a thinking that the reason, you know, like this inner critic that we have, like, it's not really malicious or anything like that. It's actually trying to protect us from being, you know, hurt or looking bad or failing. So the idea is like, it's better I say this to myself before somebody else says it to me, but it's just so damaging, right? Oh, yeah. It's so damaging. I just finished watching uh, Cheer, (laughs) 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 this uh, Netflix show about cheerleading. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And they basically were like, they call when they do a routine and they don't have any mistakes, a zero. So they're trying to get as many zeros as possible. But they're practicing, they're doing all these routines to lead up to the championship. And Mm -hmm. then when one person messes up, like it destroys the entire cheer community. It's so rough because they're like, all they know is like, if they don't end up with the championship, like, what's the point? And it's like, man, this is scary. Like this, like. Man, and I see that. I think I mentioned this earlier with like Olympians, like you know, all so many Olympians go into depression right afterwards because it's yeah. like, even if you win, like Phelps went into a massive depression. He has most gold, gold medals in history. It's this idea of who am I separate from this thing? And I think a lot of people are really scared to figure that out. I think a lot of people had that panic during the beginning of the pandemic when they were like, oh, my, yeah. my identity is rooted in my productivity. It's rooted in my work. It's rooted in all these things. And now I either not doing any work or not doing a lot of work or just got laid off. And I'm just like, who am I? You know, when I'm not like this high earner or doing all these other. And it's like, man, I think that's a part that we have to just be really like careful about. Yeah, for sure. And and you and I have a common friend, Angie Cole, and she talks a lot about this idea of like, 
decoupling our self-worth from all these other things, right? Yeah. So the job that we do, productivity, profit, whatever it is, uh, in this case, being a footballer, because it does, like it starts to become such a part, like such a part of our identity that it gets to the point where like, we don't know where one thing ends and the other begins. And yep. so, and I agree, like, I think this is why we see so many people struggle when that piece of them falls away because then it's like, well, then who am I without this thing? And I think that discussion between Roy and Keeley is just so lovely. Well, first of all, like, let's just shout out uh, the little girl who plays Phoebe and now her name is escaping me. It'll come back to me in a minute, but she's just lovely. Like she's so, she's so expressive and so great. But just watching that whole scene was just, it was so great to see like all the things that she comes up with and to see Roy's reaction to each one, right? Like he's so aware oftentimes of the things happening around him, but he does not have the self-awareness sometimes. So like when she says his beard is scratchy, you see him kind of touch his beard and he's kind of surprised like, oh, I guess it is, you know? And like all the way through and then up to the very end where she says, and I love him. And and you just see him like smile for a moment. It was just a, such a, a beautiful scene, but also you know, and then Keely's point that like, you just never know what other people think of you. And I think that that's like everything, right? <laughs> because yeah. we're in this space all the time, you know, whether it's interacting with each other, whether it's interacting with family, friends, colleagues, people, you know, don't know, like, there's always this feeling of like, oh, that person's judging me, or I just did this thing. Like half the time, people don't notice things that you've done, like you yeah. notice them, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but others don't. And so we spend so much time and energy just beating ourselves up about stuff that like usually most of the world just does not care about. Yeah. I mean, also, well, this kind of reminds me once of uh, I, I was helping a friend who's writing a book and she was just like, yeah, I'm having all this mental block around the book. And I'm like, oh, you know, what are your issues around? And she's like, I'm just thinking about how people are going to react. And I was just like. And then it just dawned on me and I was just like, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but most people won't read your book. Just like most people in the world won't read your book. And then I was like, think about it. Even if a hundred thousand people read your book, which is a lot of people, right? Heck, even yeah. if you sell 9,000 copies uh, within, I think the first month, you become your New York Times bestseller. bestseller like, yeah. not like that hard. But like in the greater scheme of things, most people aren't thinking about you. And I think it's fascinating how self-centered we can be <laughs> that we can not only think so many people are thinking that I am the protagonist in their story, right? Mm -hmm. But then also then we try to run like the options are, hey, do I just focus on me or do I try to control everyone else's reaction to me? Which is mm -hmm. like madness to even think that that is what you want to do. But right. that was like, that's or that, no you can, that, or that, that you can, that you can. Yeah. You have the audacity to believe. So that the fact that Rebecca is trying to do this, that she's trying to like control the media and control this and control that. It's just like, it's so exhausting. And you see mm -hmm. this so much with so many people that you hang out with that really care about looking perfect. I'm about to do a video around a tweet I saw. I saw someone that posted something yesterday that was just like, uh, being forgettable is the worst thing in the world. And I was like, is it? 
Is that <laughs> the worst thing? Worse than like starvation and like, you know, like heartache and death. And it's just like, wow. The fact that you would think that the death of you is some people not remembering you. And especially thinking about like being forgettable in the social media world and hold, putting so much effort and time and energy towards that and believing that's where I'm going to get my value. And it's just like, man, you're never going to get enough likes, comments, viral videos to like quench that insatiable yearning for being remembered. And what's ironic is you'd probably be more remembered if you let go of trying to be not forgotten. Maybe, but it's not surprising, right? Because the reason that people, a lot of people have that fear of being forgotten and it cuts to the very core of like our survival instincts, right? So if you think back to be forgotten back in the day, in you know, prehistoric times was not a good thing. Like you were probably going to die. And so a lot of people, you know, that sense of judgment or that sense of not being relevant, it cuts to that very place inside that, that feels like, oh, if I'm not relevant anymore, if, or people forget me, there is this like fear of, um, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's uh, no, I mean, logical, say- but like, it's very real. And it, it does cut to our sense of security and safety. You know? But this is what I think is the struggle of Roy. Yeah. Because he believes if he gets benched, he is going to be forgotten. I'm just going to be that guy, Roy, that old man who now plays in the U.S. and would dominate, by the way, in the U.S., right? Like, I'm just going to be forgotten. And then Keeley's just like, not by your niece, not by other people. You know, you also don't know who you're going to inspire and who you're not going to inspire. I'm not going to forget about you. And then it's the question of like, well, whose opinion are you valuing, right? How are you actually measuring your success? Like, I think one thing that I saw with my dad, which is really sad, he was a cardiologist. That's what he was known to be. He was one of the first cardiologists off of his island of St. Vincent to be successful in the U.S. But then when that was when he retired, it was like, what was I, my identity separate from that? Yeah, and that was really challenging for him because he didn't know yeah. what that was. And and even though his his nephews were always there and like, oh, they see him as you know, their grandfather and they love spending time with him and that's how they see him. I don't know if that was enough. And I think this is another reason why a lot of people stay in jobs that they don't necessarily like or whatever. Like there is this sense of what else am I if I'm not this, if I'm not like professions, right? So if I'm a lawyer, but I really want to go and be a writer or I Mm -hmm. want to do something else, but or maybe I don't know what I want to do, but I know that I don't really feel great practicing law. Mm-hmm. But then what's my identity if I'm not, you know? And so that's why it's so dangerous when we couple our identity to our profession or to to one solid thing rather than looking at it more holistically to see like all the different roles that we play and the impacts that we have on so many people, you know? It's hard on people for sure. Mm-hmm. And so kind of continuing on with this idea of believe though, I wanted to look up like the the root of belief because I was curious and it means to have faith or confidence usually in a person. And that's really like, it's interesting. Like it makes a lot of sense. Right. And when you think about like the sign that's up there and stuff for professional athletes 
or you look at leaders in other contexts, like you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing in order to, you know, achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve. And I think that that's like such a, a big part of it. And so in that kind of last scene that we see in the locker room, like Ted kind of is looking and, and Roy's not there. And, and I'm sure there's a little bit of a, a sense of maybe even going back to like Jamie, you know, like how Jamie mm-hmm. just kind of gave up and walked away or like, you know, or was angry or whatever, but he realizes Roy is not there and starts talking. And then we've got that whole great exchange with Nate that you mentioned. Which is also funny because it, he says the part about you and I are good, but then he goes back and says, oh, but, you know, make sure you apologize in your dreams. So we're good on that side too. And it just took me back to like when he said to the team, like, I, you know, I'm a believer in the unknown. And I was like, oh yeah, like, um, so that's kind of cool. So he's still, you know, that has not changed. But then Roy does show up. And I think that it speaks volumes, right? And so he apologizes, explains why he's late. And then the part I didn't get is, so he puts on the little vest thing. I don't know what it's called. Um, That's that's for the second team. Right, right, right. And so, and he says, you know, can I say something? And he says, second team is going to kick first team's ass. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if he put himself on the second team or if that was there waiting for him. But either way, by putting that on and by saying that, I felt like he was normalizing it for the team and saying like, like, I'm okay with this. Like, this is okay. I thought that was really, that was so great. Um, yeah, I think that jersey also was on, probably on his bench. Okay. So it was also like, hey, you're on second team this today. But then he might have just not shown up, right? The part that I found really powerful is like, really at the end end, while the credits are running, because he puts on the jersey, he's, you know, they talk whatever stuff, you know, Beard smiles at Ted, they head back in the locker room, everyone's all good. But then as people are leaving to go to the pitch, there's each and every one of the players are still acknowledging him as the captain. Yes. They're still like actually giving him his dabs. They're still doing this thing. So like that relationship hasn't changed simply because yep. now he's coming off the bench. Yeah, And then as they're walking out and everyone is now left, right? Then he goes over and touches the believe side and you're like, oh, he finally believes. And think yeah. about it. He finally believes at the lowest point. Yeah. Think about this. This is when finally the foundations of Richmond can actually be built because like Rebecca's finally being truthful. Higgins is back. Roy is, you know, this like we they finally can build a team because Mm -hmm. up until then they were just trying to. There was always some obstacle. It was just more fires to deal with. And when I'm talking and I talk a lot about this regarding the great resignation, there's a lot of companies that actually have to burn a bunch of it down in order to build it back up. And a lot of people don't want to do that because that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Like they're willing to do that. And then as they're about to risk relegation, actually finally have your owner on your side to actually have your captain okay with whatever role he wants to play in. Like, man, imagine what they can do now. So that's Mm -hmm. the excitement I leave with where it's just like, okay, now we have an actual strong foundation we can build a team on. Yeah. I noticed that too, about like all the people going and like this bumping him and stuff like that. Like I thought that was really cool. 
and in different ways. They were all different. Yeah. Almost like when you see right? those videos of the teacher and the yeah, teacher like, yeah. greets each kid a different way. Yeah. That's, what I, that's the vibe I get. Me too. That's what I noticed too. What was cool is there actually were no credits on this one. Yeah. Like normally when the music starts, they cut to the credits. And in this one, the music just kept playing and mm-hmm. there were no credits. And it went through like each person leaving one by one, one by one. And then you see Ted and Beard leave and like, you're right. And then it's like totally empty. And, and even then he's kind of looking around before he actually. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want everyone you know? to know. Yeah. And it's very gentle. Like when he, he just mm-hmm. like touches it so lightly and then he like keeps heading out the door. But uh, yeah, I love what you just said though, about it now, like it's almost like it leveled the playing field and now they can start building um, on top of that uh, because there are no more like things in their way. Uh, yeah. All the pieces are like coming together. And so, yeah, I thought that was actually really beautiful too. There's something like powerful about transparency and honesty mm-hmm. that is so liberating that I feel a lot of times we're so scared to experience. But once we have it, we're like, oh man, how come we didn't do this the whole time? Yeah. Well, there's something you just said about like having to sometimes burn things down in order to rebuild. And that's something that I, you know, like I really think to your point that a lot of organizations struggle with right now, Um, especially like as we see more organizations kind of trying to do the right thing around like the equity inclusion belonging space, you know, there's still a lot of like, we're going to do this because they know that they need to. But I just recently was on a project uh, where it was very clear that they needed to do some burning down of things. And and part of the burning down is really, uh, to your point, what creates the transparency to start building that trust again. And so, and I don't think it has to take like a lot of time or anything like that. Like, I think it's something that it's more about the intention that gets put into it and the willingness of leaders to step into that vulnerability to do that. You know what I mean? To make that um, shift happen. But you're right. Like, I think there's just a lot that aren't doing that. There's so much performative activism that's doing. And again, why are people doing performative actions? Because they care so much about what other people think. And if they only were just like rooted in their values and being willing to speak up, like Beard does. That's like a very crucial moment when Beard slams down and says like, I actually do care about winning, right? Yeah. Because he's communicating that like, you need to see me. I've been adapting to you this whole time, but you need to see where I am coming from and also where a lot of other people are coming from. And you're wrong. In this case, I'm wrong because, you know, Ted says, oh, because that's not how we define success, right? When Beard says like, I... I do want to win and and that's okay. Like he adds that piece in and that's okay because there are going to be different definitions of success depending on the situation. So yeah, when you're coaching Wichita State and it's a bunch of kids, that's one thing because you you it is your role to make them the best versions of themselves as they go out into the world versus a professional team where if they like he said, you know, relegation comes with repercussions. And so if you get relegated and it's for nothing now. Like yeah. now you're you're starting over and you've built nothing and there's a community involved. There's like people's livelihoods involved. It's not just Roy's livelihood. It's an entire team's livelihoods, right? And when teams get re- relegated, usually they lose funding. They, you know, it's so much harder to get 
back to into the Premier League. So like it's so difficult. So, you know, like yeah. it, it, and it can change an entire town. It makes the town either relevant or not relevant. Like a lot of people probably wouldn't be going to Liverpool and Liverpool wasn't so good, right? So the other thing that was interesting, you know, going back to what you said earlier about how quickly Ted was able to forgive Rebecca, the flip side of that was how long it took Rebecca to come clean with Ted mm-hmm. after Keeley tells her to. So yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but this was another thing that was in one of these Facebook um, forums. There's a guy named Charles North and he actually sat there and like did like went through all the old text messages and stuff. And what he found was when Michelle texted Ted about the divorce papers before the Everton match, the date on that is March 27th. And then the next day is the 28th. And then they come back to London on the 29th. And that's when the Diamond Dogs are formed. And then the dart scene also happens to be that same Monday, which is the 30th. And then on the 31st, um, Rebecca comes into the office and that's when like they do the high boss thing with the people on the, the players on the ground. That's the same time that Higgins quits and Roy have gone out to dinner the night before and she comes in on the 31st of March and says to uh, Rebecca that she needs to tell Ted. And then you fast forward all the way. And so when you look at Ted's text message that comes in while Beard and Nate are telling him they need to bench Roy... It's now Monday, May 11th. And so oh, it's taken two months. It's taken six weeks. Well, six for, weeks for Rebecca. And, and she has not said anything, which, you know, accounts for why Keely is so mad. And also the fact that Higgins was able to grow his little Van Dyke. <laughs> so, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Charles, Charles or whoever it is that did. That's yeah. so many details. Goodness, I yeah. any of that. Yeah. Wow. That makes sense because she probably was just going to let it be, right? Yeah. And how many times have you had that where someone just lets it be and be like, oh, yeah, now we're fine. It's like, are you fine? Did yeah. you? <laughs> or did you just not address it? And now, like, we're just not talking about it. It's just a thing that we kind of avoid. Yeah, but, it just kind of goes away, right? But it doesn't yeah. really because it's still festering under the thing. And I'm now going back to what Beard said, because if you think about it, most of the perspective of this whole show is from Ted's perspective. A lot of times we don't put ourselves in Beard's shoes. Mm -hmm. And to think about it, Beard has followed him through Wichita State and now he's followed him across, you know, the world. And the reason why he goes off at him is it's like, I've believed you this entire time. Yeah. And now I'm just trying to say this one thing to you. I've said other things and you've listened to me, but now all of a sudden now you're saying no and you're just like denying all of like the trust that you've had in me. Like mm-hmm. I need to put my foot down because I'm like freaking pissed to the point that I might want to quit because like yeah. our values aren't aligned right now. And I think you're clouded by your judgment. And that's really powerful because I think a lot of times we, we're not empathetic towards Beard. We're just kind of like, ah, well, Beard's just me and Beard. And it's just like, he's doing all the things that no one gets credit for, but he's mm-hmm. probably a huge reason why they're even successful. And there's got to be a whole backstory to their relationship. Like there's obviously something that's happened that would make Beard be so loyal. But to your point, like Beard is kind of that quiet presence in the background usually. And so for him to 
to speak up, number one, you know, it's a big deal. Number two, it also, again, just goes back to that idea that there's enough trust in their relationship that he knows he can say what he needs to and not worry. Like, you know, there's not a fear like, oh, we're not going to be friends. We're not going to whatever. Like, but I can be honest with you because you need to hear it and you can't see it for yourself. So I'm going to have to show you. Right. And he's also just riled up because his ex-girlfriend is playing chef <laughs> to somebody else. So like, like all of the things, you know, are there, you know, even, yeah. the, even the community guys are there, like, like yeah. making comments, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But even his response to that, when, uh, when Baz asked him, like, isn't that your girl playing, you know, with that other guy? And, and he says, oh, she's just playing her game. Like, He's so kind of nonchalant about it, but I bet you're right. I bet there's like oh, a piece of him fuming. inside. Like, it's like, yeah. He was fuming. <laughs> so then to have then Ted sit down and be like, yeah, I haven't had that conversation. And yeah. it's like, this is the guy that has all the crucial conversations and now he's not willing to have this one. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm done. I'm just done. Yeah. What if, Because like, what am I doing? No, here? but, but he did say, he didn't have the conversation, but he did say that, that Roy figured well, yeah, it Roy out. Yeah, Roy got the message. Yeah, right. but. Ted was still making the decision or the yeah. choice to not bench him. That's what pushed Beard over the edge right, was right. The, the choice. Yeah. So funny. Did you have any kind of what would Ted Lasso do moments for over the past, since we last spoke? I was fascinated on curiosity. That is something that I was trying to embrace more mm-hmm. this weekend. Did I have a moment? I don't know if I had I don't know if I had a moment. I've been reading this uh, or rereading this book, Big Magic. It's all about like curiosity, like following your curiosity and also not putting so much like meaning behind everything that like you have to convert like a hobby into something that has to be like perfect or professional. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I did this weekend where I was just, you know, doing things that bring me joy, even though they don't like help me in any way. Yeah, makes sense, right? A lot of times when I make videos, I make videos with like a purpose of like, oh, well, this might advance my career, blah, blah, blah. And I was just making stuff that just like brought me joy, you know? And (laughs) that I loved, you know? Yeah. I love going going down that path. And then I found someone that I knew that had a a really huge impact on so many people's lives that just passed away. Yeah, I saw that. Her name was Patricia Moreno, and she had run this whole like movement or program where you would do actual exercises while saying life affirmations. Mm-hmm. And actually it was really helpful because like you do a, a mo- movement and you'd say an affirmation that goes with it. So every time you did that movement, like separate from the workout, you would remember it. Was that Intensati? Yeah. Intensati. Yeah. She was uh-huh. the founder of that. So like, I think about like the hundreds of thousands, if not maybe even millions of people that she had done that with the power and energy she had when she would walk into the room. That was just like magnificent. And I was talking to some friends of mine about that and be and asking myself and them like, you know, what do you want to be when you walk into a room? Like, forget about what Mm. people are thinking about you. Who cares? Because you don't know. But more so for you, what do you want to be? you know, who do you want to be? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Gilbert says like, I want to be calm in the room because she sees that a lot of women have like anxiety when they're in a lot of like public spaces or I want to be love in the room. And I was like, man, I want to be play in the room. Like most places <laughs> I want to be play 
in the room. So that's what I was curious about this weekend of how I was showing up into any space and just being rooted in like who I am and happy with who I am at that moment. Mm, I love that. That's really nice. For me, I, I'm kind of moving forward, just like trying to look for situations where I can ask the question, what would Tabasso do in this moment? So I had been, I volunteered for this organization. Uh, they have a big event coming up this summer, which I just found out conflicts with World Domination Summit, which we are attending. And so I thought, okay, you know, let me just be transparent, let them know what's going on and that I'm still willing to, you know, help out and to the degree that I can up until that date. But I wanted to give them plenty of notice so they can find somebody else for the day of and that kind of thing. So I wrote a really nice email, sent it over to four people that are all on their board. And not only did I not get a response, (laughs) there was a meeting that afternoon that I sat in on. There was a co-lead with me on this thing. And they just said to her like, oh, well, things have changed and you're going to be in charge of this whole thing now. And luckily I had spoken with her. So otherwise she would have been totally thrown off, right? But the fact that like I got no... Acknowledgement? Yeah, like no acknowledgement, nothing of this whole thing. And so I really had to sit with it because I was kind of like, that's not cool. Yeah. And so I did ask the question, you know, what would Ted Lasso do in this case? And I decided that in my mind, he would, you know, find a way to write back again to just be like, hey... Just wanted to check in, see, you know, where we're at and to, to confront though, to, in a nice way to just say, look, like I was trying to be transparent and it would have been nice to have had the same courtesy in return. But anyway, so that was kind of my moment. Uh, I think that's what he would do. Like he would, he would acknowledge it. He wouldn't just let it die away and not show up. So. Is that what you did? Yeah. And how did that feel? Uh, it felt fine. I still haven't heard back anything <laughs> But that's a perfect example of crucial conversation, right? You're willing to have it. They're not willing to have it. And then there are all these assumptions that then people have. It's just like, man, this is exhausting. It'd be just easier if they just people just were willing to talk. Oh gosh. I'm sorry you had to deal with that. That's okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for the conversation. Lovely as always. I can't believe we only have one more episode left. One more episode left. Crazy. Uh, But I appreciate you. And um, we'll talk next time. All right. I look forward to it. Enjoy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, www.tldpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. It all helps. We don't know exactly why, but it does. So in the spirit of believing in hope, believing in believe, please help us out. And thank you to Podify and Sam Davidson for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch, or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, 
What would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Yeah.